My name is Blake Holmes, and um, I have the privilege of being on the equipping team here at Watermark. And I've been looking forward to this day for quite a while to be able to gather with you guys. And I, and I recognize um, that we're walking in here with different levels of conviction, right? All of us, um, you know, some of us may be coming in here going, man, what, what in the world did I sign up for, right? 6.30 in the morning, coming in, standing up with a bunch of men, singing songs. You know, how long is this going to go on, kind of thought? Or how many weeks is this going to go on? And why did my friend tell me to come to this? And in the words even we just sang right there, hey, better is, is one day in your, in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And, and this confession, Lord, I, I need you. That may be foreign to a lot of us. And um, if, that's, if that's your story, if, if somebody invited you here and this is your first time, you're new to Watermark or... You're not even sure who this God is we're, we're talking about. Man, I'm especially glad you're here. I, I wish I could have personally greeted you because I know what it's like to walk into a room with a lot of men and, and not really feel like um, you're at home. You feel a little bit like a stranger, right? And you think everybody's wondering who you are. And trust me, we all don't know who each other is in here, all right? But, but what you do hear us sing, what a lot of us do believe, and the reason why we gather early on Thursday mornings is, is not just to go through the motions, not, not to impress God because we're up early or we're carrying Bibles, okay, but the reason why we're here early and the reason why we can sing what the psalmist wrote is because our hearts have been changed. And, and we've spent a lot of time in places other than the Lord's courts, and we've recognized this is a broken world. And we have broken hearts, and that's why we sing, Lord, we need you. We desperately need you. And by God's grace, we've all um, become convinced that the way in which we can now have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. You see, I grew up in kind of an environment where uh, it was customary to, to play the part, to look the part, to dress up, Right? We kind of sit around here, Todd says tongue-in-cheek, you know, show up, shut up, dress up, kind of deal. I, I, I've done that. I've, I've, I've been there, and it left my heart hollow. And it wasn't until a valet car parker told me one day, hey, it's not about showing up, shutting up, dressing up, but it's about recognizing your need for a Savior. And so that, that's just great imagery, which the psalmist is saying right there, it, it is is he saying, hey, better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere? Better is one day in relationship with you, near your presence, than a thousand elsewhere. And not all of us are convinced of that. And that's okay. I hope over the course of these next several weeks, you come to know the God we love and serve. And so um, I'm going to make those who are in charge of this study a little frustrated with me and go over time already. I know that, and I'm going to hear about it. But I'm going to ask John just to sing one more time, just that chorus, Lord, I need you, okay? And I'm going to ask that you make that the prayer of your heart, and then we're going to get up here, and we're going to jump into the book of James, all right? So let's stand, and let's sing that one more time together. I'm
defense. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need. Oh, Father in heaven, uh, we come before you this morning, and that's not just the song on our lips, but that's. Pray more and more the attitude of our hearts. And I need to sing that song. I need to start every day with that song. And far too often I don't. Because I candidly sometimes don't feel like I need you quite like I should. But in my own strength, in my own power, in my own uh, energy, I, I live like I don't need you sometimes. And so, Father, I just confess that um, I do need you. And better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I thank you, Father, for the men who have purposed to rise early, to come together, to be reminded of this truth. I thank you for how they spur me on and encourage me. I pray for those who are in here, Lord, who um, find it funny that a bunch of guys would gather in the morning to, to sing songs to a God we can't see. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would uh, reveal to us our need for you, that we would put aside all traditions and um, maybe stereotypes, And help us, Lord, just to really listen and to learn what it is you have for us today. In Christ's name, amen. You guys can be seated. Well, I used to to live in a little small town in East Texas called Nacogdoches, Texas. Anybody ever been to Nacogdoches, Texas? All right, look at that. There's some people who have been to Nacogdoches. I love that. Right? We called it Nacogdoches, Texas. I served a uh, Bible church there and loved it. There's some of the sweetest years of my life. And one of the things I loved about serving in that church is when you live in a small town, you get to know people of all walks of life. And you can, it starts to feel like, you know, you're driving down North Street. You're kind of like, I know them and I can stop in here. And you walk into Butcher Boys, right? It was where they kind of serve the, the greasy spoon in Nacogdoches. And you're going to run out a bunch of people you know. And uh, I got to start a friendship with a guy named Bill who uh, he owned a, uh, he was a mechanic and he owned a car shop and, and he could fix anything. And he invited my wife and I out to uh, Sunday supper one time after church. Well, in Nacogdoches, there's not a whole lot to do. So when you're invited over for Sunday sur- supper after church, that's not a quick, hey, come sit down, you know, have a hamburger and be on your way. No, no, no. It, it, they treat you like family, right? And uh, wife and I drive out these winding roads, you know, I mean, it's on the outskirts of neck of nowhere, if that tells you anything. Drive out these winding roads, finally get to his house. I pull up in the driveway and there's, you know, the first thing that captures my attention is kind of right at the edge of the driveway is this beautiful truck. It's a, it's a classic Ford pickup truck and, and I'm looking at it and I'm kind of like, whoa, that's, that's pretty nice. You don't see one of those every day. So I go in and we have a Huge meal, a lot of family. We're talking. I'm getting to know Bill. He's getting to know me a little bit. And then um, after our, our long meal and good discussion, uh, I, I make my way into a study, and I'm just kind of looking at pictures and books and everything on his bookshelf. And, and, and then I, I see this, a picture of a, a truck that is in a, a field. And there are literally limbs and bushes and trees and things growing through it. It, it, It's not this exact truck, but it looked a lot like this. Really, it looked worse than this. And I I said to Bill, I go, Bill, no offense, but why does one have a picture 
of a forgotten, neglected truck in a field with a tree growing through it. And he kind of laughed and goes, oh, did, did you see that, that truck out in the front yard? And I said, yes, I saw the truck in the front yard. But why does one have a picture of a truck with a tree growing, you know, up through it? And he goes, well, well Blake, that, the, picture you, the, the truck you see in the picture right there is now the truck in the driveway. And, hello, and it literally went from a truck in a field that was neglected, whom he just went to the landowner and said, hey, I noticed that you have that truck in the field. Would you mind if I bought bought that from you? And he goes, you don't have to buy it from me. I'll pay you to take it out of my field. I don't need it. I don't want it. It's just a piece of junk. And my friend Bill took that truck, and with a little time, and with a little effort, and with a whole lot of expertise, he restored that truck, such that now that classic Ford pickup truck is something that I promise would capture your attention. And it's something that people have come to him and said, hey, can I buy that truck? And it just struck me. I looked at Bill and I go, wait a minute, you've got to be kidding me. The truck in the field in this picture is the truck outside? I go, and you did that? Yeah. I mean, you did that? Yeah, me and my son, we, we, we'd work on it over the weekends, and there you have it. I mean, just as humble and just as kind of, yeah, that's the same one. And it really blew my mind. You see, I've been around guys who have interest in cars, right? They may kind of walk in and out of Napa Auto Parts, Right? I've seen guys who have kind of a hobby and a passing interest in cars, but trust me, they would be the last people in the world if you needed help that you would call and say, hey, can you help me with my truck? They just have passing interests. Bill, on the other hand, had an expertise with cars. There wasn't anything he couldn't fix. There wasn't anything he couldn't restore. And people came from miles around just to go to Bill Partly because of his expertise and partly because he was a godly man, he would shoot you straight and say, hey, this is what you need. And everybody knew that he was telling you the truth. He just lived a life of integrity. He was a man who had the admiration of those in our town and just a love for people. And I just, it just struck me as I was thinking about what we're going to talk about today, the book of James. You may be asking yourself, what in the world do restored trucks have to do with the message of James? And the answer is everything. It has everything to do with it. And I want to put this image in your mind because the central truth of James, what he's calling you to do, is to be a doer of God's word and not merely a hearer. James is a book that calls people to action. You see, Bill wasn't a guy who just had a passing interest in cars and trucks. He wasn't a guy who kind of knew about as much about cars as I know. Hey, there's four tires, and that's where the engine is. That's about all I got for you. But he had disciplined himself. He had studied. He had practiced. He had learned. He applied himself. And everything he learned to honing in on his his craft, on his expertise. And because of that, other people came to him. 
and said, how do you do that? Other people would go to him and go, I trust you. Can you help me? And James is a book that's saying, hey men, it's not about just having been in and out of Napa Auto Parts. It's not about having bought a couple of car magazines. It's about, not about just becoming a smarter sinner, if you will. But it is about learning God's word and applying it to your life such that others will come to you and go, what is in your driveway? How do you explain a heart that looked like a truck in a field, overgrown, neglected, and forgotten, to a restored truck that others look at and go, there's something different. There's something really different. I want to know what it is. And James is written to people who are being persecuted for their faith. It is, um, it, is a, it is a book that is saying, hey guys, there are no more pretenders here, right? It's all about, hey, how do we live out this faith in light of what we say we believe? And I was just thinking, you know, how do we know whether or not we're a doer of God's word or a hearer of God's word? And I wrote down these three questions. And I'd encourage you to just take note of one or two of them. As I'm going back through James, am I a doer of God's word or a hearer of God's word? That's really the challenge before us. That's the challenge of the whole book. It's not a complicated book. This is, I like to often tell people, you know, this is not complicated. But it is really hard. And there's a difference. It's not complicated. I don't think you're going to sit there. Very often, there will be a couple of passages that we'll read in James that you might go, this is kind of difficult to understand. But for the most part, it's not complicated. It's just really hard to apply what is so clearly taught. And the central truth, are you a doer or are you a hearer? Are you a guy just kind of has a passing interest in cars and trucks? Or are you a guy who's become someone who hasn't just learned it, but can apply it such that others would go, that's a changed man. First question, is there anyone in your life that is closer to Christ as a result of your influence? The answer is, oh yeah. Then you're probably a doer of God's word. Are you currently experiencing the cost of following Christ? Is there, is there, is there a, a degree of a price that you're paying because of your decision to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. It may be that those that you work with have ostracized you. You may have been overlooked for a certain raise or promotion. It may be that your neighbor just chooses to turn the other way and pretend like she doesn't see you, right? Walk into her house. It may be that family's upset with you or whatever it is, but you may be ridiculed, but, the, but there's, a, there's a degree of just um, a lack of comfort. Because you said, hey, th- th- I'm self-declared. I know I need Jesus and I'm following him. And then what would those closest to you say you value the most? You know, those, those are the kind of questions you want to think about as you read this book. Am I a doer of God's word or am I simply a hearer of God's word? And it's real easy to go through the motions. It's real easy to go to Bible studies or go to be in a small group or check the box. 
And James is going, hey, this is not about checking the box, but it's about applying what we say we believe. For a long time at Summit, we've kind of used these three little L's that we want to learn God's word, right? We want to live it out, and then we want to lead other people. And that's why we're here. We're not here to impress God because we chose to rise up early. We're not here to impress others, right, with our understanding of Scripture. We're just here as, as men seeking to better understand God's Word so that He could change our hearts. And as I said, you may be the guy who's maybe on this side of just kind of going, I'm here because I have questions. I'm not sure I even know that, that God exists. And I'm thrilled you're here. And then there's those of us over here who we may have been in church all our lives. And we need to finally take what it is that we have learned here and surrender here so that our lives can be changed. And we can start not just restoring cars, but people can see that our heart has been restored. James is a pretty simple book to outline. If you, when you walked in, you should have re- received a, a white cardstock page on it. And I gave you a ton of background information in James, not all of which I can cover this morning because of time. But I hope that it helps you in our study to understand the context of what we're looking at. Because every time you read a book or read a, a verse, you've got to understand the historical context. Every verse has a context that you want to read within the context of the paragraph, the pa- paragraph, the chapter, the chapter, the book, and then the rest of Scripture. It has a literary context, as has a historical context. And if you were to outline James, you'd see that it talks first about a tested faith, then what a true faith looks like, and then a tenacious faith. James was <clears throat> the half-brother of, of Jesus. He was a leader in the church of Jerusalem. And if you could just imagine what it would have been like growing up with Jesus as your brother, all right? Um, Truly the kid who did no wrong. You were always the one who got in trouble and he never did. Uh, That would have been the case. James didn't come to understand who Jesus truly was until after his death and his resurrection. And then when he understood Jesus' mission and who he was and came to believe all that Jesus said about who he was, James came to a saving faith. And he was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And he's writing to a people, like I said earlier, who are now being persecuted because of their faith, and now they are scattered abroad. Persecution now has pushed the church out. People are on the run, and he's writing to these people. And so the purpose of James is, is that he wrote to instruct believers on the nature of a genuine faith and the fruit it produces in the life of a true believer. It is... um, it has several themes, perseverance through trials and suffering. This whole emphasis on faith without works is dead, as we looked, looked at last time we were together. And being a doer of God's word, and not merely a hearer. Key chapter is chapter 2, which I would encourage you just to spend some time over this next week. Just sit down and read the book of James in one sitting over a couple of times. You'll see in chapter 2, again, this whole emphasis on, hey, are we, do we have a said faith or a saving faith? Are we doers of God's word or merely hearers? You'll notice in James that there's, there's 60 imperatives in this short little book. It's, uh, it's argumentative a little bit in tone. It, it assumes that there's going to be someone who's going to respond back. 
And James is like, it's very practical over doctrinal. You have all this stuff on that little page I have in front of you here, but I'm just showing you a few of these things and telling you about the nature of the book. You'll see, um, as Todd's pointed out on Sundays, that, that really it's a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, that many of the things that Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount are carried over and commented on by James in his book. There's amazing parallels there. James uh, loves to use analogies. Wind-tossed waves, withering plants, mirror for self-inspection, dead bodies, bridled horses, turning a ship, forest fires, taming wild beasts. I love how James communicates. It's It's image after image after image, right? He's got illustration after illustration. Some of the unique features, you'll, you'll see that he uses paradox. He talks about joy and trials, the lowly boasting in their high position, the rich taking pride in their low position. There's many parables. And so there are a lot of unique um, characteristics to this book. It's a fascinating book. And um, we're jumping in in chapter 3 in continuation of our study. And if this is your first time here, like I said, that's all right. James is a short book. Hello. There we go. James is a short book, right? And so um, you can could, you could catch up, but I want to encourage you, take this page and you'll see at the bottom, there's a little outline there, right? And I filled in some of this for you. Again, it talks about the beginning is a tested faith. A tested faith perseveres through trial. A tested faith resists temptation. And then he goes on and he talks about a true faith. A true faith applies God's word, does not show favoritism. A true faith takes action. And then you have a place just to write down your your key verses. And then there's a question mark where you might go, hey, I I don't understand that verse. And you just want to mark that down. And when you get in your groups here in a little bit, in the next coming weeks, you'll just be able to say, hey, I read this and I was unsure of its meaning. And so what we typically do is, in our time together, is there'll be a little time for us up here where we'll gather. We'll spend a few minutes talking about that passage. We'll highlight one or two key takeaways. And then we'll break from here and we'll, we'll go into small groups. And so on your name tag, you have a room number on there. And some of you are in this building, what we call the children's building, hence all the backdrop here for you. Um, we have... Uh, we have some of you in the, the rooms right around here, and then others of you are across what we call the sky bridge. You just walk out here, go across the sky bridge, and then there's a tower over there. But that's where you'll go is your room number, and there'll be people can help you know where you're going right here if you look at your name tag. And if, you, if you're here and there's not a room number or you don't have a name tag, then we would love to help put you in a group, and you can come up here when I finish, and we'll get you in a group. But the whole idea, gang, is, is that we want to encourage you and challenge you during our time here, I encourage you to show up early. We're going to have some opportunity for us to worship together. Come here. Um, and then we want to do the hard work of getting in our small group and just being able to go, hey, I've got questions. And hey, here's how I can apply this. And challenge and encourage each other to be the men God calls us to be. As I said, gang, um, I believe that the message of James is to call us to be not just hearer of God's word, but doers. And all of us are in different places in that, different areas of our life. We may be killing it at work, but in our home, 
in our relationship with our wives, that may not be the case. Or we may be killing it with our wives, but, but maybe not at work. And we need each other. We need each other. And so um, I'm excited you're here. I think this is going to be a great study together. I love James because it is a call to action. Sometimes men, as men, we need that, right? We need it just right here, straight between the eyes. And, uh, and I think this is going to be a really great next several weeks. I'm excited you're here. So I'm going to pray for us and then let you guys break from here. Father in heaven, <clears throat> thank you for um, the reminder this morning that we need you. I pray, Father, that you would help us to grow in our understanding, the truth of your word, but even more importantly than that, we would take what we understand and we apply it to our lives. I thank you, Father, for my friend Bill in Nacogdoches. And that he wasn't as focused on cars and restoring cars as he was on the hearts of people. And I pray, the Lord, as, as others look at our lives today, they would, they would see that there's a difference. That we don't merely just have God's word on our, on our lips. We don't understand it, just understand it. But there's a difference. Because we're not just hearers, but we're doers of your word. And so, Lord, help us to respond appropriately today that others would want to ask, hey, can you help me? Can I get your advice? I pray, Lord, that um, we would apply this just immensely practical books to our lives. We love you and thank you. In Christ's name, amen.